Sunday. It is 10 minutes past 7 o'clock. I'm Susie Jones, your host, along with Charlie Weiss, and it is the Health Hour. We are so happy to have you with you. Have you with us. That's what happens when I wake up just in the nick of time. In fact, we're going to talk about sleep, Charlie. That's our big topic today. Do you suffer from any sleep issues? I or? don't. I know a lot of people at the station do and with the crazy hours and everything. I do. I mean, when I have to do, be in at 3 a.m., it definitely <laughs> affects my day and yes. my sleep. I will say that. I think getting up at this hour affects uh, my day as well, as you said. Uh, we are so happy to with, have with us on our news line um, Dr. Andrew Steen with Alina Health Systems. And he is a sleep expert, among other things. He's also an expert in lungs and different things like that. So we want to welcome him to the program. And right away, remember to take your calls at 651-461-9226. Again, 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. If you have any questions, if you are someone who struggles to stay asleep or go to sleep or wake up, what have you. So, Dr. Steam, thanks for coming on with us this morning. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I enjoy being here. Well, good to have you. Let's talk about sleep and particularly insomnia. Um, what is insomnia? I mean, is there a real specified description that is different from just having a hard time staying asleep or what constitutes that? It's a family of diseases. Uh, It's kind of like seeing back pain. You know, there's more than one thing that can cause back pain or place in the back that can hurt. Um, And so insomnia is best characterized as either difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, or difficulty with sensations of having restorative sleep. Okay, so that's the umbrella that we talk about. Um, how many people is it, are is it, are affected by this in the country, would you guess? Oh, it, annually, it's about a third of all adults that oh. will report some prolonged stretch with insomnia. Um, most of the time, they don't bring it to our attention because it's short-lived and they think they have an explanation for it. Mm. Um, although... There are things we can do for it, and and so uh, people that do suffer from it more than just very rarely, I, I, it is something worth bringing to our attention. Um, I, I personally uh, struggle with it on occasion. I'm the kind of person that will wake up at, at 3 a.m. Uh, after a couple hours of sleep and have great difficulty going back to sleep after that stretch. All right, very good. Again, we reminded folks that this is an opportunity for them to jump in as well and ask a question or a comment. We have Bob with us this morning, Dr. Steam, on our new, uh, text talk and text line. Go ahead, Bob. You're on the air, and thank you so much for calling in at 713. Have you not slept tonight yet? <laughs> Teasing. Go ahead, Bob. No, I slept. Um, my problem is that I'm not really sleeping when I want to sleep. I get plenty of sleep, seven, eight hours a night. But I have I wind up going to bed at seven o'clock in the evening and getting up around three, four o'clock in the morning. I'd rather stay up until ten o'clock and sleep until five or six. And I don't know what I can do to make that happen. Thank you, Bob. That's a great question, right, Doctor Steam? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Um, in in uh, without going into much more detail into your personal story, it sounds like you may have what we call advanced sleep phase. And so, uh, a normal sleep phase, uh, meaning what the majority of people have, is usually about a ten to six desire to sleep. So from ten p.m. to six a.m. Uh, but there's normal differences there. 
Uh, it's actually about 6% of humans that are, are night people. They actually want to go to bed closer to 2 a.m. or so, and they've actually worked out the genetics. There's a Nobel Prize uh, awarded for the genetics of that. And it's about 2% of us that have what we call advanced sleep phase, which is a desire to go to bed even earlier than that typical, like 6 or 7 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and uh, that's, that's a very normal thing for that person uh, and people to experience. The, the other thing is, is as we get older uh, and approach 60, 70, it's normal uh, to have a little bit of advancement. So maybe in most of my adult life, I wanted to go to bed at 10, but now in my 70s, I want to go to bed at 9. That's a normal experience with circadian rhythms. So the first thing I'd say is, is what you are experiencing may be very normal for you, and instead of resisting it, it may just be accepting it, except that you're a morning person and enjoy the early morning hours that you get to take advantage of. But if you want to change your sleep schedule, um, there are several things that we can do, and, and most of them are to take advantage of the normal signals that tell our body when it's day and when it's night. Um, and so we will often time light dosing. So we'll actually have people uh, buy light boxes or get sun exposure so they can have extra doses of light to trick their body's sense of what time of day it is. And we'll often take melatonin uh, and kind of an herbal therapy, uh, which is what the body normally makes. The darker it gets, the more melatonin the body makes. And we'll, we'll use melatonin uh, to try to change your body's sense of what time it is as well. So in broad strokes, you can kind of accept it and accept that you're a morning person, or uh, you can consider using light and melatonin to try to adjust your body sense of what time it is. 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Dr. Steam about sleep, we are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll take more of your calls and texts on Newstalk 830-WCCO. It is a Sunday morning on CCO. That means it's time to talk health. 720, our guest is Dr. Andrew Steam. He is a sleep expert with Lina Health Systems, and we are talking about sleep or lack thereof. Maybe people who sleep too much just sleep in general this morning. 651-461-9226. We had a nice call from Bob wondering about kind of changing his clock. And if you have a question, jump in. We'd love to talk to you on the air. A texter writes this morning, Dr. Steam, what is the efficacy of implants like Inspire? Um, do you want to respond to that one? Oh, sure. Um, the the for, for the right patient, Inspire works fantastically well. Um, Inspire is a brand name for a device that we call the hypoglossal nerve stimulator. Um, and the hypoglossal nerve uh, uh, is the nerve of the tongue. And so what this implant does is while you're sleeping, it makes your tongue move forward to open up your throat, um, which is the problem with sleep apnea is the throat's narrowing and closing at night. So by moving the tongue out of the way, we're helping keep it open. And, and so the surgeons that place this device are, are very cautious about who they put it in. It's not right for everyone. Uh, but if you're someone uh, who meets the right criteria uh, and, and gets the device, um, it, it's about 90% of patients that derive significant benefit to it. It, it. It's not as good as a CPAP for most people. CPAP usually completely treats the sleep apnea. Uh, but the hypoglossal nerve stimulator does a, a great job uh, of significantly improving sleep apnea, particularly for those that just can't wear that CPAP. 
Very good. Thank you for that text. And we have a number of people also asking questions on our text line at 651-461-9226. Also, please feel free to call. We'd love to have you on the air as well. 651-461-9226. This texter writes, would love to sleep through the night. I usually wake up after three or four hours and then am awake for two and then I go back to sleep soundly. Um your advice on that one. I think a lot of people have that. I've talked to friends. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually the first thing I'd say is, is that's normal sleep. Um, Humans before the light bulb and before the industrial era in particular would sleep in multiple, usually two nighttime shifts. There'd be what was called the first sleep and the second sleep. Um, The first and second sleep each being about three or three to five hours long. Um, with an, a period of time of about two hours of wakefulness in between them. So that's actually normal human sleep. Um, and it's the light bulb and the industrial era that kind of helped us stay awake later and force us to wake up earlier and kind of compress our sleep into this one nighttime window. Uh, and because most of us are sleep deprived enough, we can do that. Uh, but particularly when we start to retire or get more control of our schedule, seeing these divided patterns of sleep reemerge is actually a very common thing. So uh, the, 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 the main difficulty with it is if you struggle to return to sleep. So if I'm lying in bed for two hours just staring at a ceiling, that can be very frustrating. So one of the recommendations is just enjoy the time. Don't stay in bed trying to return to sleep. Just go do something that's not terribly alerting or activating. And when you get tired a couple hours later, come back to bed, read a book or do something like that. Um, If you want to compress your sleep again, um, the first therapies that we usually recommend are what we call cognitive and behavioral therapy. And so it's cognitive therapy because a lot of people report my mind racing is what's stopping me from going to sleep. And so we kind of help them kind of wind their brain down and turn things off. And it's called behavioral therapy because we reset your behavior. Um, And a lot of people tend to understand, like my version of that story, uh, which is I want to wake up at about 7.30. If you left me to my own devices, that'd be my normal wake-up time. But Alina, uh, in her infinite wisdom, makes me wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning so I can see patients. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so Monday through Friday, I'm waking up at 6, and then Saturday comes, a day I could sleep until 7.30, but I'm just so used to waking up at 6, the behavior continues, even though it's unpleasant and not what I want. Similarly, being awake for an hour or two in the middle of the night for the last month suddenly just becomes the new normal behavior. It's what your body's used to doing. So the the combination of cognitive therapy to kind of help you turn off the brain and behavioral therapy to reset your sleep behavior for about 90% of patients is significantly effective at helping them uh, get more sleep in the middle of the night. In fact, when you compare it to medications, uh, people that do cognitive uh, and behavioral therapy get 40 more minutes of sleep per night than people who take medications. Wow, that's interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about that and how that works, but I still want to get to these texts because there's a lot of them. So we'll kind of run through some here. How important is a good bed to quality sleep, and how do you determine a good bed? That's from Tom in Lakeville. Thanks for listening this morning, Tom. Go ahead, Dr. Steen. It's a great question, uh, and your sleep environment is incredibly important uh, to your night's sleep. Um, the, the, the darkness, the quietness, the temperature, um, and, of course, the comfort of your bed. Um, unfortunately, there is no one-size-fits-all, you know, j- just like the princess in the pea. Um, <laughs> when you need a firm bed or a soft bed, you know, you've got to find what's right for you. Uh, some people need that adjustable bed to take pressure off their back or 
uh, off their neck. Um, and, and so it is important to have a comfortable place uh, to sleep. Okay, very good. Let's move to the next one. I wear a full face mask at night due to my sleep apnea. Does breathing in our exhale, our exhaled breath cause any harm? Thanks for that text. In, in the context of CPAP, no. Uh, there are uh, escape valves uh, that let out some of the carbon dioxide that you're exhaling. Um, it, it, it does increase a little bit of what we call the dead space, um, which is the amount of air that you move that's not helping you breathe. Like, for instance, your windpipe. You're moving air up and down your windpipe, but the air in your windpipe isn't actually bringing air to your lungs. And so when you wear a CPAP mask, you're slightly increasing the amount of air you have to move to breathe comfortably, but you're, you're getting uh, the carbon dioxide out just fine. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. 651-461-9226. Please feel free to call as well if you want, but we do have a number of texts still coming in. Let's, talk, let's take this one. Why might it be, or why might it take me two to three hours to fall asleep? It does not matter if I've had coffee later in the day or a glass of wine. It takes a long time to fall asleep. Um, I just lay there and lay awake. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, a very common problem. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of different answers mm. to it. So it's, it's kind of like coming to the doctor and saying, why do I have back pain? It's like, well, there, there, there's a whole range of things that this could be. And it really does require an uh, evaluation to come to a specific answer to you. Uh, and so I would wholeheartedly encourage that person to, to seek an evaluation. Um, usually, the question we have to ask is, is a personal reflection. Why do you think you're having trouble falling asleep? And, and I often pose this hypothetical question to my patient, if only blank, and fill in the blank for me, and if only blank, I think I could fall asleep faster. And it kind of helps them frame it in their own mind. If only I were comfortable, if only I were tired, if only I could turn off my brain, if only I, my legs weren't restless. Um, and, and that's the thing that we need to talk about, that, that thing that's stopping you from falling asleep. Uh, but it does require an evaluation because there's a lot of potential causes. All right, let's go to the next one. Good morning and an awesome show. This person writes about six minutes ago. I'm 66 years old. I retired a couple of years ago after flying with an airline for 40 years. I'm still pretty active, but occasionally I find myself falling asleep when I sit down for like 10 minutes, usually in the afternoon. This has never happened before. Is it normal? I was told I don't have sleep apnea. Thank you, this person writes. Um Go ahead. Your your thoughts on that one? I, I, again, it, it could be normal. Um, the the normal human, as I alluded to, um, back in the uh, pre-industrial era, would sleep three times a day, twice at night, and then the midday siesta. In fact, some cultures still very much embrace that midday siesta, uh, and so it's a normal part of of human sleep to have a, a, a tiredness in the early afternoon, somewhere between one and three o'clock. Um, and many of us during our professional lives are engaged and active. So we can skip that. You know, I don't have to sleep in the mid-afternoon. I, I personally, some of us want to go get that little cup of coffee or just get up and move, and we feel that tendency to be tired, but we don't sleep. Now, in retirement or perhaps on a weekend, you may have the ability. If I'm sitting on a couch when that moment comes, I'm probably inclined to fall asleep for 10, 20 minutes. Uh, and so it's not uncommon for people to experience that. When we, in particular, get worried is when your safety is compromised, 
I feel so tired I can't drive. Uh, that's a, a safety concern. Or I feel so tired I'm unable to participate in things that bring me joy and happiness. Uh, but if I'm watching TV and I tend to, I tend to doze in the mid-afternoon, that, that could be very much normal. All right. It sounds like she did the right thing by seeking an evaluation. 651-461-9226. We have Linda on our news line. Linda, good morning. Thanks for calling in this morning. I really appreciate it. How are you? <laughs> Tired. <I'm> pretty good. <laughs> right. I, uh, I went in this summer for a sleep evaluation at Methodist, and they, of course, recommended the CPAP machine. And it's like... For a while, I had trouble with the machine that it gave me a crazy message about leaking air and so forth. So they gave me a different machine. But it's just like I've tried and tried and tried, and it doesn't do anything for me that other methods can do. I mean, I I know that I can go out to the couch and prop the pillows a certain way, and then I can get to sleep and then I can come to my bed and I sleep the rest of the night. But I don't know what, I don't like paying for the machine. I don't feel like it's doing any good. What's, what's huh? step number two when, if the CPAP does? Yeah, that's work. a good question, Linda. We'll get to that. Dr. Steam, um, your response to that question. And thank you, Linda, for calling. It is a great question, uh, Linda, and, and I, it's about one out of three people who get a CPAP that struggle to deal with it. Um, and, and so always the first questions we ask are, are the why. Are you struggling with it? Um, if it's something like the mask doesn't fit or it's too hot or it's leaking, we try to address those mechanical issues. Sometimes it's not working because I'm using it faithfully and I'm just not feeling any better. And so then we, we have to look for what else could be going on. Sometimes you have sleep apnea and another problem, and we're, we're not dealing with the other problem because all we've found so far is the sleep apnea. And then some people just can't use that machine, and they have to move on to uh, Plan B. Uh, the, what Plan B is is a little bit individualized for people. We've already talked about one Plan B, which is that nerve stimulator implant, uh, which is a great uh, Plan B for a lot of people. Um, there's another typical Plan B, which is a mouth guard that people wear called a mandibular advancement device. The, the lower jaw is your mandible, and this device just pushes your mandible forward while you sleep, which pulls your tongue out of the way. Um, and that is also a good therapy for opening up the throat and treating uh, sleep apnea. Uh, you've alluded to something that we also use sometimes called position therapy, which is when you're laying flat on your back, and gravity is pulling your jaw backward and your tongue backward, it's narrowing your throat. And so getting people to sleep up in a recliner or somewhat upright in bed or even on their sides or stomach can help open up the throat by pulling the, the tongue out of the way as opposed to dropping it back in the way. And so there's a lot of things we can do for someone who can't do CPAP, and I would encourage you to just tell those your providers that. It's like, I've, I've tried this. I've worked with this. I've been dealing with this for several months now, and it's not for me. Mm. What's next? Okay. Uh, a texture writes in, and we're going I'm going to ask you the question, then we'll take the break. They, they've written in twice this morning um, about Aspire rather than Inspire. Are they interchangeable? There's a different one on the market. So this person says, my dad has tried using CPAP along with our question, but it doesn't work. There's Inspire and Aspire, and we'll get to the answer to that coming up after this quick break on News Talk 830 WCCO.
And we are back. It is forgot about that guy. I love that. Charlie, do you know I played the tram- uh, the trumpet when I was in high school? No, you were a trumpet? I would have gone clarinet. Nah, really? Yeah, I don't know. You, you give off clarinet vibes do to I? me. Yeah. I was digging the trumpet, let me tell you that. But I it wasn't any good. So I was always, you know, Stephen Peabody was tr- had the number one chair and I had the number four you're chair. still bitter. so bitter about Stephen <laughs> Peabody that you remember his name. All right. We're talking WCCO Health and we're talking about your sleep. And we could probably talk about this all day. Dr. Andrew Steam is on our news line. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the different ways people use things to help them sleep. And the texture wanted to know about Aspire, Inspire. We kind of Googled that over the break, Dr. Steam, and it looks like there isn't. It looks like it's just the one. Have you heard of others? So, you know, I, I, I had to Google it over the break, too, so I'm yes. glad there was a good timing for the break. Um, Aspire, that what I could find is, is, there is, is a, a medical company um, oh. that offers two different products that I could identify. Um, and and oh. so one product, and so I'm just going to answer the question a little bit more globally. Okay. Um, and one product is it's a muscle toner. Um, and so the the problem with sleep apnea is the the throat narrows and the muscles relax at night like all the muscles do, and so the throat becomes kind of squishy back there, and which makes it hard to breathe. And so one of the devices, a muscle toner, uh, will increase the strength of those muscles through practice. It's interesting that you just had the, the, the orchestral questions uh, because they've done the study of, of patients or people in an orchestra that play a wind instrument have less apnea when matched for everything else compared to those that don't because of the, the strengthening and toning of those muscles. Um, and, and so this is a device that strengthens and tones the upper throat. Um, there's also a surgical technique that they use, which uh, they implant uh, something that pulls the back of the tongue forward. It kind of tethers it uh, to bring it out of the way uh, to open up the back of the throat. That, that therapy is not yet FDA approved. Um, it's still kind of in clinical evaluation. Um, and, and the thing about surgeries for sleep apnea is it really is individualized. So not every throat closes the same way. And, and so what you need to do is find a good ENT surgeon, a good sleep surgeon, who does an evaluation of where your problem is. Because there are different solutions for different places of throat collapsing, um, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. So it, it's, you need someone who's going to take a good look at you, a good look at your anatomy, and say, this is where I think your problem is, and so this is the intervention you need to address it when CPAP can't. All right, 651-461-9226. That's our tax line. That is our talk line. We've had a couple of callers this morning. That's always fun. If you feel like you want to jump in and call, that would be great as well. All right, this texture writes, multiple dreams. I have multiple dreams at night. Could that be a sign of trouble, a problem? Your thoughts? It's possible. Um, dreaming is, is hard for me uh, to ever say if it's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, because it can be both. Um, m- most vivid dreaming occurs in REM sleep. And so the people often equate a lot of dreams with a lot of deep sleep. Uh, and that can be true. So it might actually be a good thing if I'm having a lot of dreams. However, you're also more likely to remember dreams that you wake up during. Um, and so if you're waking up a lot at night for any reason, 
um, you're more likely to recall your dreams. So that person who's waking up a lot will also have a lot of dreams. So the person with nice, good, deep sleep could have a lot of dreams, and the person with really chopped up sleep might have a lot of dreams. Um, and so it, it, <clears throat> it's, it's a nice thing to talk about, but it needs to be put into a broader context. If, if otherwise you're having no sleep complaints, I feel rested, I don't feel like my sleep is disturbed, I'm just having a lot of dreams, uh, and, and they're not displeasant, uh, not, it's not a lot of nightmares, it, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay, very good. Uh, we have a texture writing in about their 10-year-old grandchild, grandson, who has problems getting to sleep and then waking up in the middle of the night with difficulty getting back to sleep. Talk about younger patients. Is this predominantly an older person situation, or do children experience it as well? Oh, it, the children experience it uh, very often. Um, and, and the explanations are often different, but they're often the same. You know, children can experience stress and anxiety and have trouble processing informations and lay in wake uh, at night because of the bully at school or the test that they're worried about or just not having enough friends. And, and, um, but they can also have sleep rhythm problems um, and be night people or morning people themselves. The other thing that kids in particular are much more sensitive to is their routine. Um, and and a, a typical example I think every parent knows about for, is that crying baby. Right, the baby that cries out for mom and dad because it doesn't want to be left alone, and and some of those babies and some mom and dads will never leave that child alone, and so that child gets used to falling asleep with a parent or with a parent cradling them, um, or just in their presence, and then and and then as the parent tries to step away, and the baby wakes up, it's like I can't fall asleep if mom's not here, and so in some ways we're creating our own sleep difficulty in that child because that child can't fall asleep without mom, and so it's sometimes it's the routine that we're creating. Uh, that's also becoming a problem. So, no, it, it is absolutely something worth getting checked out if that 10-year-old is having trouble falling asleep or fall, or staying asleep in the middle of the night. There's a lot of things we can do to help. All right, 651-461-9226. Dr. Andrew Steam is with us this morning with the Alina Healthcare System. We're talking about sleep, and we are inviting your calls. We have to take our final break, but we have a number of different text questions coming in. Very popular topic. We'll make sure to get Dr. Steam on again. 745 on News Talk 830-WCCO. It is 7.50. We're rocking our Sunday morning for you. Hopefully you're up and at them, making your coffee, getting ready to go to church. A lot of people listen when they're going to church. I've heard that. My mom has friends. She listens on her way before church. So anyone up listening, we appreciate it very much. We're talking about sleep for the next couple of minutes. We only have about four minutes left. But Dr. Andrew Steam is with us. He is with the Alina Healthcare System and talks all things sleep with us. And we're learning a lot. We're kind of combining a couple of texts, Dr. Steam, with our last four minutes. A lot of people asking about medications. Some people taking Benadryl. Ativan, Trazodone, Amitriptyphan. And the question that a lot of them had is, is there any connection to that and dementia? Can you respond to that, please? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, the, the, the short answer is there is. Uh, but it's a, it can be a little bit of a chicken and the egg argument. Um, people with dementia are more prone to insomnia. Uh, and we do see that some of the medicines used to treat insomnia can be associated with dementia. And so we don't know 
uh, which direction things are moving in. Um, and it, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, the, you, could, you could probably understand how medicines designed to slow the brain to help you fall asleep at night might have a lingering impact uh, and slow the brain in less than desirable ways. Um, but, uh, but we also know as people are developing dementia, sometimes the first symptom is sleep fragmentation and difficulty falling asleep. So it can be a little bit of both ways. Um, and I think that the take-home message is, is the first therapy for insomnia should not be medication therapy. It should be that cognitive and behavioral therapy that we talked about because we don't see those negative associations with cognitive and behavioral therapy. And actually, when you compare cognitive and behavioral therapy to medications, it performs better. Uh, uh, patients get better outcomes. Hmm. Uh, someone who does cognitive and behavioral therapy falls asleep 10 minutes faster than someone who takes Zolpidem, as an example. And so it's actually a superior therapy. But there definitely are those people that can't or succeed with cognitive and behavioral therapy or don't succeed, and, and then medicines are often used. In the next two minutes, can you give us a couple of tips on cognitive behavioral therapy if a person wanted to try that before they tried medicine with about two and a half minutes left? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the first thing I would direct you to is, is the Alina Health website, okay. uh, and, and there are others, too, for behavioral sleep medicine or insomnia. Mm -hmm. So it will show you some of the doctors and providers that offer that therapy. Uh, so just Google insomnia and Alina Health, and it'll bring you up a couple of resources. Um, but th there's a couple of elements to it, so it's not just one. The first people often have heard of is called stimulus control. And stimulus control is, is basically that people should only sleep or have sex in bed. Really, those should be the only behaviors in bed. Uh, you shouldn't read. You shouldn't watch TV. You shouldn't do your homework. You shouldn't answer emails. Because then your body is learning to do things other than sleep in bed. And we're trying to keep things simple. Another one, and a very potent one, is called sleep restriction. Um, and that's actually uh, when we uh, decrease the amount of time you're allowed to be in bed. So a patient might say, I'm, I'm only sleeping six hours a night. So then we're going to tell them, okay, you only get to be in bed for six hours, no matter how much sleep you get. Um, and then what happens is that patient spends an hour trying to fall asleep, and they only got five hours of sleep. They become more and more sleep-deprived, which then it makes it easier to sleep the more sleep-deprived you are. And so then they start being very good at sleeping six hours in bed, which is a little bit opposite of what normal instinct is to do. Like if I know it's going to take me an hour to fall asleep, I usually go to bed an hour earlier. But then what that person's doing is they're just building in the insomnia. They're accommodating the insomnia. But it's human nature to do that. And so we kind of get rid of some of those behaviors. And, and then, as I alluded to before, there's also a cognitive component where kind of the therapist uh, and provider will help you kind of decrease some of those intrusive thoughts that a lot of people have that make it hard to fall asleep. Um, counting sheep <laughs> it does not work as well as you'd like it to. So there are better techniques that we can do to help you fall asleep faster. Okay, good. Listen, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We have about 30 seconds left. Again, we're talking to Dr. Andrew Steam. He is with the Alina Healthcare System, and he is an expert on sleep, and he has been absolutely tremendous today. Um, any final thoughts about sleep as we say goodbye to you and welcome in 2024? No, well, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of things we can do to help someone who's having trouble sleep. So don't be afraid to talk to your mental or your health provider about it. Uh, we we can help. Uh, All right. The other thing I'd point out is in your first break there was an ad for the RSV vaccine. Um, adults over the age of sixty should discuss that with their uh, care provider because it can save lives. Awesome. Have a great day.